I think we need to acknowledge that nobody wants to harm kids. I think we might have more in common than we think, and we can at least reach some kind of common ground. It's not all going to be common ground, but some, and I think that that's a starting point. From critical race theory and taking books off public library shelves. Anytime somebody starts to talk about censorship and pulling lots of books off of shelves, Mm -hmm. As somebody who's very much like pro-information and pro-education, I got a little bit concerned. To hybrid learning models and private school vouchers. I mean, if they had gone through with this, it would have been a seismic event in the world of Texas public education. Odds are you've probably already noticed these issues that affect public education have risen to the forefront of the political debate in recent election cycles. Conversations about our children are almost always divisive, right? They, it's about our kids. And even if you don't have children yourself, you know, you think about kids in terms of the future of, of a community. And so it tends to stir up people's strongest emotions. I'm Bailey Friday, and with midterms less than a week away, North Texas wants to know, how did public schools get tangled up in partisan politics? Why has the conversation around public schools in Texas become political in recent elections? These debates, I would say they come in waves, they come in cycles. So what we're debating about might be of this moment, but the debates themselves have gone back really almost a century. That's Rebecca Dean. She's an associate professor of political science at the University of Texas at Arlington. And go back into the early 20th century and talk about evolution and Darwinism and the Scopes monkey trials. You can fast forward into the latter part of the 20th century and you talk about the sexual revolution and uh, women's rights and the rights of people of color and of the emerging LGBTQ community. And then you fast forward to now uh, into this century and the debates are about curriculum, but sort of curriculum plus. And, and what I mean by that is if you look here in Texas at the early part of the 21st century, the debate was about curriculum. And it was about how we were going to teach science in public schools in Texas. So Dean explained how she thinks each party has used public education very strategically, right? They're trying to reach voters. And in her opinion, one party has made a more effective argument to its base. So what public education issues have candidates used to best mobilize voters and which issues just haven't worked that well? I think the issues that are resonating depend on which electorate we're talking about. So I think that the Republicans have done a better job at using these issues to mobilize their voters. Issues like critical race theory, um, arguing that that's being taught in K-12 classrooms, or um, mandating that certain curriculum that focuses on marginalized communities be included and they would say to the detriment of they see as more appropriate curriculum. 
And then on the liberal side or on the, the, the progressive, the democratic side, it's a harder thing. <laughs> it's not as simple. It's a harder thing to describe. And that's part of the Democrats problem. So in part, they're trying to paint the Republicans as dangerous. They're trying to paint them as just not educating our kids well. And so that's a more nuanced argument. So it's easier to answer your question really directly on the Republican side. It's a little bit harder to answer it directly on the Democratic side. If you've been following the gubernatorial race, you've probably already seen that Texas Governor Greg Abbott is running on what his campaign has called the Parental Bill of Rights. Okay, so the big thing with that, according to the governor, he says it's going to empower parents when it comes to decisions surrounding their kids' education. So that is a direct shot at Democrats trying to paint them as top-down bureaucrats, as big government, sort of that standard Democrats are for big government that's intrusive and intrusive into your lives, that argument that we've heard for decades. And it, it resonates with voters in his base because they've already been primed to think that way. And many of those headline-making school districts? Yeah, they're right here. They are in North Texas. We're talking public schools in places like Grapevine, Colleyville, Southlake, and Keller. Why do you think school districts in Northeast Tarrant County have become a flashpoint for the intersection of schools and politics? I would say that it's a confluence of several different factors. So it's a, it's a coming together of lots of different streams. For starters, it's a changing environment. And so uh, it's a growing area. You have um, an influx of just people. So the district itself is growing. Districts in that area are growing. So South Lake Colleyville, Keller, and feeling those growing pains of the influx of new people into their districts and having to um, accommodate them. What that also means is an influx of new perspectives. The demographics of the area change. And a lot of the old guard of people who have lived there forever you can understand why they might feel threatened on a variety of different dimensions. So, so there's that. And then you have kind of a generational component to it where high school kids these days are not shy when they think they've seen injustice and they are happy to mobilize, to boycott, to walk out, to try to contact the news media. If you didn't know, the Keller ISD is actually in the midst of this very who heated <laughs> debate over which books are appropriate to be on the shelves of school libraries. So 41 books were challenged last spring. That was spring of 2022. Amazingly and wonderfully, all 41 books that were challenged were put back on library shelves. Lainey Hawes is a mother of four in the Keller ISD. Every book challenge committee voted to put the book back on library shelves to some degree or another. There were a handful of books that only stayed on high school and didn't go to middle school. There were quite a few books that never touched elementary school libraries and never would have. I just want to point mm. that out. As our, li our librarians told us, if a book is labeled young adult, it's never going to be in an elementary school library. School board elections used to be pretty sleepy. In local elections, generally, we get excited if turnout reaches the double digits. I mean, literally like 10, 11 percent. Um, we think that that's a, a high turnout year. Um, what that means is a small number of people in a community can really make a big difference. In the last election, three school board members in Keller were backed by a conservative PAC called Patriot Mobile Action. 
Its website says, quote, help us save America, starting with Tarrant County. And one of the first things they did when they became sworn in was to reverse all of the book challenge committee decisions that had been made by committees in the spring. And all 41 books were pulled from library shelves again. And now they are slowly being re-reviewed with a new rubric that this school board has passed. It's my understanding that they were removed under the old review system. Mm -hmm. And then a new school board came in to place and was was voted into place. And they amended the review process. Tracy Louth is the mother of a third grader in the Keller ISD. And their policy was if the book had been reviewed in the past, then it needed to be reviewed again under this new process. And that's where those hot topic title books um, came into review again. This has been a really big story over the past couple months. And if you've been watching it, you'll know that two of the books that made headlines when they were flagged were one, the Bible, and two, a graphic novel adaptation of The Diary of Anne Frank. The Keller ISD superintendent issued a statement in August emphasizing that the books were under review. They're not permanently removed, just under review. Hawes actually sat on the committee for The Diary of Anne Frank. We unanimously voted to put that back on middle school shelves and high school shelves, obviously. It's a phenomenal book. And then this group of parents in our community who had tried to get the books banned and pulled from library shelves was livid. They decided and they they made an announcement that they believed that the committees had been stacked with woke liberals and that the district had somehow cheated. And that was all happening during election season for the school board. What do you say to those parents who don't want their children to consume certain content until they reach a certain age? So I have four children. I'm the exact same way. And you know, what's interesting is I have children who even at the same age may not be ready for certain materials, right? I have a son who just feeds on information, is looking for it, wants it, gets it. He's going to get any information he wants. I have a daughter who's a little sensitive, doesn't really like harsh topics. They really strongly affect her. You know, it's that kind of a thing. And so I understand that. And I don't want my children to have access to pornography. I really don't, right? Especially at this young age. So what I say to parents is, first off, we really should be having this conversation. So it's a great conversation to have to be having. Second off, it's really disingenuous to be calling these materials pornography because there are not copies of Playboy. Our kids don't have Pornhub in their library, online library catalogs, all right? That's pornography. There may be books that some of these parents disagree with because it may share a sexual experience that someone had, whether that be an assault or a teenage sexual experience. And I get that. You might not want your child to read that. And that is your right which is exactly why the school district has a policy in place that says, if you don't want your children to have access to these materials, please let us know and we will put a hold on their account so that they cannot check them out. I struggle with this because I've worn so many hats in my life. I've got a background in political science, a background in public education, a background in um, higher ed education and politics, and now I'm a mom. And so like regarding public schools not regulating content, I personally, and this is shaped by my own education journey in my life, but I keep going back to the entry-level education classes that I took where it talks about FAPE, which is a free and appropriate public education for all. And I just tend to emphasize the appropriate form of that 
And there are some things, in my opinion, that are just simply not appropriate for students to consume from a school library. And sexually explicit and pornographic materials are some of those things. And I do think it's up to the school leadership to regulate things of that nature. If for no other reason than because students under the age of 18 are minors. Let's keep having these conversations and let's work on ways for parents to make these decisions for our own children while not making the decisions for everyone else's children. Book audits are not the only public education issue in the news this election cycle. Private school vouchers have also been making headlines. In essence, a private school voucher is uh, where state funding follows the student to pay for uh, tuition or part of tuition at a private school. Many states have something like this. Texas does not. It's been tried uh, many times at the legislature to, to pass something like this, but has never, never succeeded. So in Texas, the state funding goes to school districts or charters or that sort of thing to pay for a student's education. That's Forrest Wilder. He's a senior editor at Texas Monthly. He wrote a story last month titled Inside the Secret Plan to Bring Private School Vouchers to Texas. The story was about an effort to bring a voucher-like model to the central Texas city of Wimberley. It's kind of a wild scheme. Uh, no one had ever really seen anything like this. And I think a lot of people I talked to are sort of surprised. You know, it took a while for folks to kind of wrap their heads around it. Because like I said, Texas law doesn't contemplate and doesn't explicitly allow private school vouchers. But what these folks figured out, and it's ostensibly legal, is a loophole in the law that would allow a school district to work with outside entities to take students from all around the state, enroll them in, in a school district, in this case, Wimberley, but those students wouldn't actually attend Wimberley ISD. They would attend private schools anywhere in the state. So the school district would take state funding, pass it through their these uh, external partners, in this case, a nonprofit and a charter school chain. And then ultimately that funding would end up subsidizing a private school tuition. That's super easy to follow, right? It's a little complicated, but the core thing to understand is it is essentially a voucher program because you're taking state funding in this kind of complicated way. Ultimately, it's ending up paying for private schools. Wilder says the key players were Aaron Harris, a Fort Worth-based GOP consultant, Monty Bennett, a Dallas hotelier involved in education reform, and Khalees Whitehurst with the Louisville-based charter school chain Responsive Education Solutions. The reason it didn't work is because this school board uh, initially was enthusiastic about it, but some of their members started taking a closer look at it and decided that the risks were enormous for this small district. I mean, again, vouchers are seen by almost everyone who works in public education, certainly superintendents and teachers and that sort of thing, is a mortal threat to public schools. They're very controversial. So a school district doing this, um, that would make that school district a pariah. But interest in some sort of voucher legislation has been on the radar of some Texas lawmakers for years. Voucher and voucher-like proposals have been attempted at the legislature quite a few times. I mean, this seems to come up every few sessions. There's been some very close votes. The reason they haven't passed is because there's this durable coalition between uh, Democrats on one hand and rural Republicans. You know, I was educated entirely in public schools in Texas, all in small towns. 
small towns that I lived in, there weren't any private schools. Um, there weren't even one case, there weren't any, any charter schools. The public education system was it. So most folks in rural communities don't really see any advantage to a voucher program because their kids aren't going to benefit from it. There's no private school to go to. At the same time, they see it as bleeding resources away from the public school system, which in rural communities, the school is very important, not just because of Friday night lights, but because that's your ticket to, to, to do something, um, you know, do something with yourself, get an education. So it's going to come up again in 2023 in January when they meet. I think everybody expects that. And then the question just becomes, can that coalition prove strong enough to once again vote down, you know, vouchers? What do you think is going to happen when this comes back in 2023? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think anybody knows. Um, I think what's safe to say is that there will be a fight over this. There'll probably be a you know knockdown, drag out fight o- over this. Um, proponents of school choice, proponents of vouchers, I think see this as kind of a do or die moment. All of the um, animosity that has built up in some quarters towards public schools over like masking and teaching uh, issues of, of race and gender. Uh, there's a lot of people that are, that are very upset and angry at public schools right now. And so they want to capitalize on that and to try to push this through. They kind of draft on the back of this uh, anger over other issues. And so I think it's safe to say that the Senate's going to pass it. Abbott, Governor Abbott has said he's in support. So it's all going to come down to the House. Will the House support this leadership? And we'll see. House Speaker Dade Phelan, a Republican from Beaumont, said at the Texas Tribune Festival in September that voucher measures proposed since he was elected to the House in 2015 have not passed. So what is at the heart of all this contentiousness around schools and politics? Well, like Rebecca Dean said at the top of this episode, conversations around our kids are often divisive. They just are. If you talk about, I want a high quality education for my kids. Yep, we can all get behind that. If you talk about, I want to prepare my kids for life after high school. Yep, we can get behind that. If even you say, I want to make sure that all of the kids in my child's school have a shot at a decent life, whether that's college or career, military, whatever it is, people can get behind that. It's when you get into the nitty gritty. Okay, so does that mean that we can talk about the history of slavery and use the word institutional racism? Oh, no, we, we can't talk about that. Or, oh, yes, we absolutely have to talk about that. So I think the consensus can um can fall apart a little bit when you get down to the details. I don't want kids to have access to materials that they aren't ready for, right? But something that I've learned as a mother of four children and that I can see in the school district is that all children are different, right? And all children have different levels of tolerance. Mm. Uh, and every family has different family values or morals and what, and, you know, limitations as to what is profanity or what, you know, what they're allowed. And that makes me concerned specifically because a lot of their issues have to do with what they're calling their their conservative Christian uh, religion or morality, um, which doesn't need to be the basis for how we make decisions in public schools. Why do you think candidates are using public education as an issue to mobilize voters? Well, because because I can. I mean, I guess is the is the first reason. You know, I think there is genuine uh, there, there's a grassroots kind of backlash in some communities around mass around masking and around 
critical race theory and this sort of thing. And then on the right, you know, politicians uh, and activists are going to use that energy in order to try to, to make political gains. Politicians cannot win an election um, if they don't distinguish themselves from the other side. And in doing so, a direct consequence of that, whether they intend it to be or not, it drives a wedge in society and it forces constituents to take a side and choose the person who best aligns with their own viewpoint. However, in this case, there is a common denominator and that people want what's best for their kids. I went to a school board meeting last year and I was hearing from both sides and I was listening to it objectively and was just, I just wanted to hear both sides. And I came home and I told my husband that, you know, the book availability was discussed at length vehemently by both sides and people who claim to be political and social polar opposites of each other. And their opinion on what should and should not be available in a school library differed. And that was no doubt driven by their worldview and personal convictions. But after the meeting, I came home and told my husband, I wish that they could take a step back and listen to themselves because there were more similarities in their arguments than they thought. I would probably say 100% of parents don't want their children to have access to inappropriate materials, what they deem inappropriate. So I think we can all agree on that. But what we deem inappropriate is different according to age, to child, to family. So yeah, I think most of us agree that we need to be making, I think a majority of parents agree we need to be making these decisions for our own children. And I think that's the common ground that we've found here is reminding parents in the community, we do want you to make good decisions for your own children because you know them best. Just please stop trying to make them for my children as well because I know my children best, right? Um, so yeah, I think there is common ground. I think that the stories we see are the, the two extremes. Friday at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thank you so much for joining me on our podcast, North Texas Wants to Know. We've covered quite a few subjects pertinent to the midterms in recent weeks, so check out our episodes on the marijuana decriminalization measure in Denton, a proposition facing Dallas voters that would raise hundreds of millions of dollars for Fair Park and the new convention center, and the role Latino voters will play in the elections. This episode was produced by Chris Blake and Savannah Jones. Original music by Michael Eisenstein. Editorial support from Cooper Mall. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan.